Welcome back to Mysterious Mysteries. Have you ever felt out of place? At least you have a home to go back to. This is the story of one business class passenger whose return ticket went nowhere. Tokyo Airport, July 1954. It's a hot day. A Caucasian looking traveler has arrived bearing the passport of Taured, a nation that customs officials soon realize does not exist. The man is interrogated, and when presented a map points to the Republic of Andorra before becoming agitated. His homeland has been there for a thousand years, he says, yet it is not on any map they can provide. Inside his passport, they discover stamps from airports around the world, including previous trips to Tokyo, and the man is in possession of currency from multiple European countries. Neither the company he claims to work for nor the company he was to do business with has any knowledge of his existence, and his hotel reservation is null and void. Unsure of what to do with him, immigration officials place him under guard in a love hotel, where he disappears in the night in a locked room without a balcony. The tourist from Taurad was never found. Who was this? Oh, oh, fuck me. Oh, Frank, you're back already. Are you moonlighting again, Torbson? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Look. Look, you gotta, we gotta make the money. You know, these, these, okay, these, 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 I know these Robert Stack is dead. Uh, I know we all miss Robert Stack, but all these, all these auditions, and like, yeah, you have a good voice, of course, but nobody can replace him. I'm sorry. I we just, all miss I just, him. I know. I just I know. can't. I just can't do a like a Pacific Northwest accent. So this is what I went with. It works. It works. But anyway. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, what's this about? Uh, somewhat. Do you what? What's your theories about what happened to the businessman? Well, I do know a bit about this. Uh, the tra- this the, the story of the traveler from Tower Red. Um, have you heard this before? I think so, or at least I've heard a very similar spin on the same ter- like the same story. Sure. Yeah, it did got spun. Um, the story because the idea of a regular businessman arriving in 1954, all these details were different. When they, the, all these details got, a lot of details got invented um, later on, but they, it was based on a real incident um, about a man named John Allen Kucha Zegris, who entered Japan in 1959 with his Korean wife. He wasn't taken by customs officials, but he was uh, arrested by the Marinochi police office for identity fraud after he tried to cash a 200,000 yen check. And a $140 traveler's check at the Japanese office of Chase Manhattan Bank. Um, and also 100,000 yen at the Japanese office of Bank of Korea. Um, so this is like a few grand in USD, right? It was, yeah, wait a minute. So how much was, yeah, it would have been, it was, it was not a, not a small amount. Well, yeah, it would have been a few grand, I think. Wait a minute, let, let me see. I mean, my understanding is like one yen is... One yen is roughly a cent, right? Yeah, but not at the time. This is the 1950s. Um, yeah, that's fair. I don't know the valuation of the current respective. I don't think it was that time. much money, but he was like, it was probably more money in Japan at the time. Yeah. Um, Enough that was, they're like, huh, this is interesting. Let's, let's check this guy out. Yeah. Um, so basically, when they interrogated him, he they discovered that his passport was bogus. Um, it was covered in like a, an unknown script that looked like Arabic, but was not. 
he claimed to be a an ambassador from the country of Negus Hebers, or um, right. it's it's a made up country that he he identified as being south of Ethiopia, and uh, he also claimed to be an American spy. Um, although the story gets mixed up in different um, tellings because it got brought up in the British Parliament in 1960 as an example of why passports weren't very good, um, like security check measures. And some evidence at the time suggest, um, say that he described himself as an intelligence agent for Colonel Nasser um, of Egypt and also that he was a naturalized Ethiopian. In one, cl- one story has him claiming to be trying to buy arms and recruit uh, soldiers for the true Arab Legion of the United Arab Republic, um, which include, which was, at the time was Syria and Egypt. But the way he said it, it seemed to describe a country which stretched from Sudan to Mauritania. Um, so a, a different Arab <laughs> Republic, um, which right. complicates things. Um, and the problem with this particular story is it's like, yeah, there was... It did, this guy, Zigris, he did get arrested. He was faking a passport. The passport was, um, at least according to news articles at the time, um, it was a fake passport for a fake country. Um, it had been used because it contained stamps from Japanese embassies all over in different East Asian countries. Um, he, he claimed a lot of things. He claimed that he was an American, that he fought in the Royal Air Force again, and until he was captured by the Germans. Um, he was spy. God, if this guy had done even like a half of the bullshit he was coming up with, this would be an incredibly interesting life. Yes, yes. Apparently when they sentenced him, they sentenced him to one year in prison and he, apparently he tried to commit suicide with a piece of glass. Um, what about his wife? Court. His wife got deported to South Korea. Oh, okay. Um, he, he himself was deported to Hong Kong a year later and then he sort of disappeared as far as I know. Right. He was probably up to like some something illegal. Be my, I mean, literally it was, but he was probably up to something unsavory. Though, mm-hmm. so, obviously, didn't have a very good handle on geography for the sort of con he was trying to pull. I think at the time it was he pulled it off for a while. Um, sure, he pulled it off for a while just until he got he started um, trying to pass bad checks. That was when they caught up with him. So. <laughs> Like, at the time, he's just like, I'm from this country. They're like, okay, he's already got stamps in the passport. Must be a real country. Because they didn't have the computer system all set up, Frank. Yeah, yeah, of course. So they had to not, check I a mean, book. To be fair, I, you, there's probably ways you can get pull off that sort of shit even today. I know it's that hard, and I doubt the computer system works that well. I mean, there's always a way. And from, from what I know, usually they just, like, most of the time they don't even, like, scan anything on your passport. They just take a look at it and make sure it checks out. Yeah, if, if the system says it checks out, then it checks out. There's, I've heard plenty of stories. Because, I mean, like, there's places that would be checking your passport that wouldn't really have a reliable enough internet connection to really do any sort of scanning, I think. Yeah, maybe. maybe. I'm not saying airports. I'm talking about, like, somewhere more remote. Like, especially if you're crossing a border or something. Oh, yeah, if it's a border crossing, then yes, there's more wiggle room. But it is interesting to me, like, the, some of the details of the story... Um, because the passport he carried was said to be issued in the capital of Taurid, um, south of uh, the, the capital of Tamanrasset, which is a city and a province in Algeria. Um, and according to the spellings, like Taurid 
some were spelled some were spelling it Tuareg, so it might have been um Tuareg misspelled, which are the uh like a Berber inhabitants. I don't know if they're Berber actually. Um, but they're inhabitants of the Sahara. They have the uh, do you know the Berber? Do you know the Tuareg? Tu- I don't know the Tuareg people. Uh, I'm not familiar. I know the Berbers. I don't know the Tuaregs. They're they're my they're nomadic people that live um, in like Mali, Algeria, Libya. Okay. And Niger, okay. Niger. So just yeah, a nomadic group. Um, yeah. But definitely not like a country. Definitely not something not, that's not a country. Passports. Not a country. No. Um, what I'm looking for is like how in depth was this guy's world building? It's, it how seems... much of this country did he invent? It sounds like you know he had at least a few cities set up and a few political officials. Well, this is the thing. As the story got like sort of like um, embellished over time, like the case was mentioned in the books of Jacques Bourgier, um, who did Morning um, of the Magicians, um, that, that that French occult book, um, and he, he expanded on some of the elements of the story. And it seems like the confusion in news articles may have caused it to be embellished over time. And by the like 1980s and 1990s, when it was appearing in like tales of the supernatural or tales of the paranormal books, it was usually framed as a man from another dimension arriving at Hanada airport with a a passport to a country that doesn't exist. Um, And in this particular case, that didn't happen. But as we know, this sort of thing does happen. I mean, what I'm wondering is if this guy was trying to frame himself to someone perhaps in the know, or if he was looking for someone in the know, as someone from another dimension. As someone from another timeline. Maybe. That's why all he was coming up with all these crazy stories that sound plausible at first glance, but obviously contradict each other if you look at it closely. Hmm. Maybe trying to get the attention of an immortal secretary? Maybe. That's interesting. Why would he want the attention of a immortal secretary? Very, I mean, I'm no, sure there's want... lots of things that an immortal secretary might know that someone would be interested in finding out. It's kind of well, a thing. They, and, but the other thing don't... is that usually they don't like to... They, they, they don't like to be called out. The thing is, like, the, the immortal secretaries have lost their um, immortality secret. Um, yeah. The guy who had it was hit by a train, I believe. Um, so they can't make anyone immortal anymore, but yeah. there might be some, some, there's probably a lot of reasons because they would have a lot sure, of Sure, but they've still been context. around forever and that's a, you know, yeah, there's a still... lot of God that's been around for 3000 years. Even if he only remembers a good 10th of it, that's still, uh, that's still some very valuable information to certain people. What's interesting to me, um, is the choice of the city of Tamanrasset in Algeria as the capital of this like non-existing country. Um, because Tamanrasset yeah was close to 150 kilometers from uh, an incident, um, the Beryl incident, the accidental venting of a French underground nuclear test, which caused a flame of nuclear fire to erupt up to 2,600 meters and irradiated hundreds of kilometers around, including about 100 French soldiers and officials. Um, So it was like... How heavily did they irradiate them? Um... Like not that heavily, but they were they were panicking. Um, read the uh, understandably, the understandably. But but we ain't talking like Chernobyl. Uh, no, no, not, not as bad as like Chernobyl. Range. I'm talking like levels of irradiation. No, like a few of them, like they died of cancer a few decades later, and they blamed it on that. Which okay, may or may not so be like, 
spending a bit too long on the uh, x-ray tanning bed. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, probably something like that. Probably a bit more intense than that. Um, I'm not quite sure for sure. But sure for sure. That's a terrible expression. But anyway, um, what I liked about it was the description of... They described it as like a giant blowtorch, like going up into the sky, which is pretty oh, cool. cool. Yeah, I would like to... Yeah, that's... And there was a few movies based on this. Um, and I'm wondering, like, usually when there's like... In any kind of like silly fiction, silly... Like any kind of like uh, nuclear accident... Combined with uh, different dimensions, is always it's a, it's always a it's a gimme, it's a gimme. Yeah. Oh, what, what happened, to Rassett? Especially, if... I don't understand nuclear physics. Therefore, that's where all the all the alternate dimension stuff is, right? Exactly, exactly. And and you can and it's it's close enough in time that you've got wiggle room. You're like, okay, yeah. so it caused this guy to appear a couple of years earlier, and but of course he was because he was. This happened. In our universe, this was a small a small city in Algeria that the the French were testing nukes at, and in, but in his universe, it was the capital of the great United Arab Republic of North Africa. Of course, I, it makes sense that that's where all the universe shifting shit happens. You know, New, Newtonian physics that stuff's built pretty rock solid, but once you start looking at the quantum and right. nuclear stuff, all the crazy unintuitive. Parts of physics, that's, that's the stuff that the clergy threw together in an afternoon with the metaphysical equivalent of du- duct tape and WD-40. That's right, that's right. Because as we all know, all science is just metaphors for the human condition. Yeah. Condition. Well, and just shit that the invisible clergy was having to come up with on the spot as scientists were getting closer and closer towards finding the seams in the construction of reality. That is one. I would like to talk about this in another episode, like the episode. What's the word for it? the ontology of how this universe actually works the in terms of um, the metaphysics? Yeah, because yeah. um, I'm not sure exactly how much the invisible clergy, the current invisible clergy, is behind all these things. It's sometimes implied to be that the invisible clergy does fix things. We know that the universe fixes itself in terms of like rituals that stop working and fucking yeah. surgical teams and things like that. But what's the mechanism for that? Like, who's behind this? Why is it happening? It's assumed to be... It's, it's sort of just accepted as being like a... The veil must be maintained. But I'm like, how does this vibe with the humanocentric cosmos that we also presented? It, it's, well, it's an odd thing it's like me. any sufficiently complex system, right? Sometimes just shit comes about spontaneously. Or shit just fixes itself... Because something well, happens to fall into place. Like, you know. But who defines what broken is? Then that's a very good question. That's a very excellent question. You know, I think about people with chronic illnesses that have been dealing with shit for like 20, 30 years, and then one day they wake up and suddenly shit's fine. That mm-hmm. happens once in a while. And that's true. They that's don't even true. know why it happens, but it does. And I mean, we're talking a system that generates new humans all the fucking time. So that's it's true. a system that's in order of complexity at least you know seven billion times as complex as the human body yeah that's about so below it's a white blood cells i don't know we have to talk about this but what i want to talk about today um in this in this um impromptu discussion all right yes yeah. i wonder where you're going with this uh uh all this uh universe and timeline shit because i have got some other examples actually okay um, uh, interesting have you heard? There's a story of a man named um, Jofar Voren. 
Um, That's now, a hell of a name, but no, I yes. can't say I'm familiar with this guy. I'd like to be with a name like that. So in 1850, on uh, the street of a small town in the district of Levis near Frankfurt, uh, local authorities found an unknown man wandering aimlessly along the beach with a confused and distressed look on his face, and they decided to take him to the barracks because he was suspicious. During the interrogation, he said that he was his, his name was Jofar Voren, and that he was from a country called Laxaria, uh, located in a northern part of a world called a uh, part of the world called Sacria. Um, he identified the continents as Sacria, Afla, Asta, Usla, and Upla. He claimed this that this sounds he... like something out of a Borges short story. Yes, it really Just does. These it names. Really, it really does. Um, so he claimed that he was shipwrecked while on a voyage to find his missing brother, and that he was taken to this new world. And he he didn't speak. The only language he spoke was a very rough old German. Um, hmm. Now. There are some different theories about this guy, like um, if it's not just a made-up story, the fact that his name was Jofar and he claimed to be from Laxaria, um, some people are um, have identified that as... Let me just get that name. Well, there's a, there's, a, there's a region somewhere in India which sounds similar, and Jofar could be Jafar. Um, oh, it's, it's somewhere in uh, Rajasthan, actually. So it could be a, a Rajasthani guy who got shipwrecked and that's why he was found on the beach and they interrogated him. And where was he and, found again? Uh, near Frankfurt. Oh, Jesus. That's a hell of a trip, though. God damn. It's a hell of a trip. But yeah, those shipwrecks, like boats did go from India to Europe. Sure, and, sure. But he could have been. Um, the fact that he spoke broken German or broken old yeah. German, he identified his religion as Christian in form and doctrine. He called it Ispatian. Um, this does sound like a Neverwhere person because Neverwhere yeah, people, that's kind of where I thought you were going with this. Yes, a, lo a lot of this is like the, the stories. There are a bunch of different stories of people who appear out of nowhere and they seem to have come. They don't know the right details about the universe yeah. or the world. Um, and in the 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 war game, these are described as Neverwhere people, people who seem to come from different timelines. The, the way the war game puts it is just the people that kind of fall through the cracks when the universe goes through a soft reboot. Right, right. I do... It, 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 I question this because, like, they were giving examples of someone who, like, appears and they're like, what? I'm not sure. This is not the United States of America. This is the, the British Commonwealth of, of Colombia or whatever. But yeah. it's sort of like, to me, it's just like, wait a minute. What, like... I guess it's the way that I pictured like universal reboots as I thought them they were a bit more like fundamental than just moving countries and names around. Um, although the 333 event is, if it was indeed a reboot, might put pay to that. But in, when I originally read the, the older version of the, um, the war game, the second ed and first ed stuff, like I just assumed that like when 333 archetypes went up there, it was like a full reboot and we're not we're not going to get like a new like a different it's not going to be another alternate history it's going to yeah. be like a ursula Le Guin, ursula Le novel where people are different genders and everything's different you know like yeah. it's it's a fundamentally different cosmos is how i assumed it would be but maybe yeah and there's a few explanations i can think of for this you know maybe there you know maybe there are just different timelines and when the universe gets rebooted 
Maybe only one thing, one timeline gets rebooted. Maybe all of them do. Because it does, there does seem to be multiple timelines because it's not just Neverwent people, it's also Exostock. And yeah. like it's physical yeah. artifacts. Now, the other thing that comes to mind is there might be like when we have no idea how quote unquote long it takes to rejigger the universe, right? I'm fuck for a lot of that process, time doesn't even meaningfully exist, so. It's probably how long it takes is probably not even like a meaningful question to ask, but there may be sort of quote unquote test builds they could when be. the universe gets rejiggered. So they're like, all right, we want to make sure this machine works right this time. Let's put them through the everlasting British Empire hellscape universe. But can, let's can run we, that through to make sure can, things work. Can we truly be assured that we are that we are Amber and the others are Shadow? Could not we, no, we also we can't. be one of the we, Shadows? We might be a test build all along. It's interesting, like, trying to reconcile what I know about the Wargames cosmology with the idea of a multiverse, um, as popular as it is now, um, although I'm not against it, um, it's, it's, it, I felt it was a bit awkward at first, but I, I like it. I do love it because I love my alternate histories and I love my parallel worlds, but how does it work? Just like, is there different? Do you mean how it works on like the metaphysical level or do you mean how it works from like the game level? Metaphysical level first and the game level, it works how it works. It just works how it works. If things show up, it's fine. Well, yeah, Um, that's the thing. I think it works on the game level because one, usually the scope of these, this stuff is kept pretty localized and small. And two, it's still fundamentally humanocentric. You know, we're dealing with different humans. Yeah, different That made different different choices or had different random bullshit happen um, throughout history. But it's still about humanity fundamentally. So it works within the game. So that second bit works within the metaphysics too. There is sort of the question uh, of how the UA cosmology really handles free will, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Which Mm -hmm. we know it's there. We know that's sort of the... It's the foundation of the universe, if fucking anything. It ha- it kind of has to exist within this. Within yes, this absolutely. Now, free will is not necessarily conscious. I, I, no. I do want to clarify that because that's kind of one of the big ways that a collective unconscious and the invisible clergy function. But it's still you did it. It's still we're making yeah. our decisions. We we a lot of time we don't know we're making them, but we are. But then there's always a question like, all right, what happens when we make one decision? What happens with the other decision? Why didn't we make that other decision? Right? Yeah. That's, and you can explore that in different ways. I had an idea for a, um, like a module, um, and it would work for Ananamis as well as anything else, I guess. But I was going to call it the, the big other house. Um, which basically it's the Big Brother house, but it's just made up of different versions of yourself, um, right. timelines, and you have to go through a, a, a series of like, you know, like Big Brother, which I haven't seen for a long time, but you have to go through Is challenges and do different even? things. I, I probably, um, it doesn't have to be based on Big Brother; it could be based on any number of similar shows. Um, but the idea of um, it's like an other space type thing, but. Um, like many selves go in, only one self comes out, and then it'll, sure. the universe will 
reset to whoever wins the competition. I, I, I think it's a good idea, but I don't know if I want to do the research on how Big Brother works to actually write it up. <laughs> I, mean, I, I expect it's pretty straightforward if it's, you know, just a reality show, right? You, you want to make that kind of straightforward for viewers to watch. I, since I haven't come up with anything, I, I had that idea a while ago. I haven't come up with anything. So, hey, listeners, someone write that for me. I Maybe that's what happens at the end of the universe, yeah. right? Like, all these different invisible clergies, right? And when there's across all the different universes and when there's overlap across all the different universes they all get together and have to duke it out reality tv style which That's sounds appropriate for how the end of cosmology works there was an episode of red dwarf which had a similar idea where like there was an entity that would like judge your life as worthy or not and if your life wasn't worthy they just replace you retroactively in the timeline with like uh, one of your sperm brothers or sperm sisters <laughs> right. um, to live instead and how they did it in that like the crew of the red dwarf were being judged but they had to defend themselves and their right to exist to themselves like the judge that would t- become themselves and so it was much harder to argue because yeah yourself would know all that would be like no you didn't live uh or you didn't live authentically i know you didn't live authentically yeah. you bastard um that's kind of fun. I'm not sure how you do with that. Yeah, there's some fun shit you can do with that. I, I like the I like the idea, um, definitely. Yeah, I don't really have much out of it. It's a cool idea. Uh, I could definitely see it being done with Unknown Army's cosmology because, you know, there's wiggle room there. How does it work exactly? Well, we don't need to figure that out now, but what we can figure out is some of the cool shit that we can do with the implications of what we do now. Because I was thinking, like, Imagining if each timeline had its own invisible clergy, you yeah. could you could posit like points of divergence in history that relate to the invisible clergy. And I had one idea for an for a GMC um, from a timeline where Dermot Arcane just tripped over his own feet and smacked his head into the curb when trying to get into Alex Abel's car, and so Alex Abel ascends fine. But Dermot Arcane stays on Earth, and so instead of getting, depending on how you, what you think the, what you think Alex Abel's archetype would have been, it's up there. But the Heisenberg messenger stays down, and so I was trying to imagine, like, okay, in that universe, like, um, somehow there's less fake news, but um, I well, there's more like the victory of new media over old media didn't immediately do the echo chambers and fake news. And I sort of had this character working for like PBS online, which is the most popular like media channel. It's Al Gore set it up when he won the election in 2000 or something like that. But there has to be something that's like worse about the timeline compared to ours as well. So I don't know, maybe it would be based on our like formulations of like what Alex Abel could have ascended as. Maybe there's more, maybe there's more drone strikes. <laughs> Of like people who might not have done the wrong thing. I don't know. What do you think? Like, what what would that world be like? Like, oh, far as um, like a setting where there's less fake news, but like, say Alex Abel sends sends instead. Yeah, just like like let no like Heisenberg messenger stays down, but um, Alex Abel went up. What would the world? What would what would because it has to affect the world because we know that the archetypes that go up and down do affect like what happens in the in the zeitgeist. Would it have been a big difference or no? Well, um, let's think here. Because, I mean, 
what we speculated on in the past is that what Abel was ascending as wasn't something related to his wealth so much as he was ascending as some sort of inquisitor, right? Yeah. So what's a world where the Heisenberg messenger doesn't exist, but an inquisitor exists instead? Hmm. I mean, I could see, for lack of a better word, cancel culture being even way, way stronger than it is. Like, probably news media wouldn't even be around anymore. Everything would have shifted to social media. Um, our conceptions of the world would be even more coached in subjectivity and echo chambers. You think so? Because, like, that's all, like, because uh, you're saying it would be, without the Heisenberg messenger, it would be even more echo chambers. Well, the thing is, the Heisenberg messenger is about presenting a subjective, uh, an idea of truth, truth coached in subjectivity, right? That's kind mm -hmm. of his core thing. You Let's say you remove that element of the culture where so that you no longer have this very subjectivity-focused version of truth. Um, there, There is a singular truth, but I'd say that um, what that... Because there's more of a singular idea of, like, history, truth, things that have and have not happened. I know, because I was always thinking it would be more more like the old days where it was I can see there um, being a lot more debate over interpretation of that singular truth, right? Maybe. Uh, there could be a much stronger idea of a mainstream, and anyone outside that mainstream could be ostracized as opposed to what we currently have, where there is no real mainstream anymore. Just a bunch of little subcultural fiefdoms. Maybe it'd be more like, what was that old, like, um, that old news show where there was be the guy in the middle and there'd like be the two sides of the argument and they would argue it out in the chairs. Yeah, I, I think there's been a lot of news shows like that, but I know what you mean. Yeah, but it's not, it's not as popular anymore because it's more echo chambery. because maybe in that universe there's more of that, like, the... The media as the arbiter between the two sides. Well, um, yeah, what I was thinking is like, okay, maybe in this universe, um, the news media has just consolidated to such a degree that there is a single news monopoly. Yep, under Rupert Murdoch, no doubt. So it's not like now where there's like, you know, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC. One of those companies bought out the other two, right? And there's just a singular news channel. Oh god! So it's it's got you've got Bill O'Reilly and Rachel Maddow like they're next to each other. They're they're yeah. the news hosts. That yes. would be really interesting. And then it's like um it's like that show in Britain that the Piers Morgan. From that arise some sort of consensus. So there's a very narrow Overton window. That makes sense. That makes sense because no that would that would be interesting because you'd have it would be so recognizable. Yeah. Because you could have all the same characters, they just have to be next to each other. And they yeah. could still argue and use the same rhetoric, but they'd be right next to each other. And the rhetoric would be weakened to a certain degree, I think. Because, again, the Overton window is narrow. You can't get away with saying... Like, there's still the same fundamental debates, but yeah. the way you're allowed to express them is much more narrow. The sort of rhetoric you can use is much more limited. And if the news media was trying to, like create this false like a neutrality position false false middle middle ground yeah so you they put these people through the ringer like like rachel maddow and bill o'reilly would be like they'd argue about things on air and stuff yeah. but then they'd, then they'd also have like here's a funny thing that happened and they'll both laugh together about the funny yeah. the funny the funny uh, the news reporter who's put on the he falls off the the 
something. I don't know. You know what I mean? Those sort of like yeah, 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 things. Yeah. Even though they're very different politically because they are forced to work with each other, there's a certain degree of camaraderie there. It seems to me that there would be like going to that universe. I mean, do keep seem... in mind that fucking Tucker Carlson used to be on CNN. Yeah. So it would be more of that. It would be so, more yeah, of that. It's not, well, but this was also a very different Tucker Carlson, right? Because whereas now he frames himself as this big, like, right-wing populist fighting for the little man, back then he was much more Bill O'Reilly kind of standard neoconservative because that's what um, the conservative mainstream was at the time. Hmm. Hmm. So what I'm saying is that it would be Rachel Maddow and Tucker Carlson, but Tucker Carlson would be politically a lot closer to Bill O'Reilly. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I think it would be interesting because, like, on the surface, going to that university, you'd be like, this seems like a more healthy media environment. But then scratch the surface, you're like, wait a minute, they're not like... Well, yeah, again, the (laughs) Overton window is so much more narrow, so anyone outside that mainstream is heavily ostracized. Mm-hmm. It'd be kind of like what things were like for a lot of the second half of the 20th century, where there is a strong sort of liberal centrist mainstream. The political debate orbiting around that, you still have a strong dimension of, you know, like you know, back in the late 90s and 80s, where so much of politics was just a sense of okay, these two guys are exactly the same on pretty much everything, mm-hmm. but we're having to go through this political theater of them debating each other and stuff, right? As opposed yeah. to now, where, yeah, the two political candidates are actually pretty different ideologically, and that's led to a lot of vitriol. Yes. Hmm. But what would a, what would a, a like, if you had a Neverwin person, and this is the issue, like, whenever we bring in, like, if I'm bringing in a Neverwin GMC... I'm going to have to come up with some reason why they don't just get killed immediately by the uh, last destination effect, because that's kind of boring. Yeah. What you, you do it once, and then you figure out a way around it if you want to use Neverwent people, in my opinion. Yeah. What would a person from that sort of timeline, if brought here, what would they... They might be like, this is this is some bullshit. I mean, they could also really enjoy it, because, like, say there's someone Maybe. that is on that, someone that's more fringe, someone that is outside the mainstream like how it is now is you just say the most audacious audacious politically tinged statement you can get away with on the internet and suddenly you have an audience suddenly you have a bunch of people that want to hear your opinions on things just because they're novel and you yeah. put up the at least the pretense of being someone that's very principled by just saying crazy bullshit online mm-hmm. i'm saying they'd probably become like some weird political blogger yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. It would be interesting if, like, I was always, I was thinking um, one of the one of the ways you could justify that sort of never went person like not being killed by the last destination effect yeah. could be if they had some protection from the invisible clergy. And it might be interesting if the Heisenberg messenger was like, hmm, this is an interesting person to have around if if yeah. just for the contradiction, if it just for the juxtaposition of it all, like it would be a way to sort of. I don't know, maybe. Like, you know, or maybe it's the old messenger is trying to, like, um, if there's a cult of the old messenger that wants to put the, the like, to re-establish the old view of the messenger, they might protect yeah. this person somehow and try to get them to ascend. Yeah, I could see something like that. Uh, I mean, like, the 
I guess the key question is like, what is the mechanism by which someone gets protected from the sort of built-in error correction of the universe? I think it could be anything. <laughs> Gutter magic. <laughs> it should be Gutter anything. magic, be... which they a local get, objective. But it's thing. Uh, never when people do get gutter magic. That's true. That's true. Yeah. By so, by by nature, a lot of times they don't figure out that they have it, but they do get it. The only use for that, like if if every Neverwind character had their own way of like avoiding that effect, um, that might be pretty cool. Um, uh, what if it's less avoiding it and more steering it away from them? Yes, and um, this comes up to a character that I came up with. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, you've told me about this guy. Yes. So this guy Oppenheimer. Um, so I, I, my little, like my little backstory is that, um, the U S did not successfully test an atomic device until early 1946. So Imperial Japan is crushed and partitioned by a joint allied Soviet invasion, uh, which leads to an atomic war in 1953 and a bunch more wars in the sixties. And the world sort of like slowly collapses. It's like not a, not a fully, not a full, like a Mad Max, um, post-apocalyptic world but more like a crap sack world which is slightly irradiated and like the governments have collapsed but things are still so there's bandits and shit running around like more mad max one than mad max two yes more mad max one um and so he gets like they he almost gets killed but he get, he ends it somehow falls through the cracks and wakes up in our timeline and his stash of like money is not, not useful um and his geiger counter he just sells it for cash um but he has a hand cranked am radio that he keeps with him and the, the universe does try to kill him but he discovers that his hand cranked am radio if he's near another neverwind person it starts to pick up radio transmissions from their timeline and he starts and he realizes he makes a sort of deal with the universe that he will go around like listening to his radio listening for radio transmissions that are clearly not from this timeline and kill them for the universe and in exchange the universe will leave him alone and he hopes that this will if he keeps doing this then his uh his wife and child will also be granted safe passage to this non-irradiated world so it's kind of like he's he's a bad guy but he's got a you know sympathetic backstory i and like i can see that general concept working Without even like the oh, I'm I'm hoping that my wife and kid can someday join me. Just like nope, I'm I'm operating purely off zero sum self preservation here. That's also yeah, that's another way to do it. Yep, that's that's yeah, that works too. Broaden this to some sort of to like any sort of error in the universe being corrected, right? So mm-hmm. let's say a never when that figures out that he can stop rituals from working. Hmm. Interesting. So, yeah, like, he goes around hunting rituals and fixing them. He just stops them from working. Oh, like, once he, when he, Whenever he learns a ritual, it stops working for everyone else. That's an interesting idea. That's a very interesting idea. It's, it, it would be interesting that if, in his timeline, he was a big ritualist. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so, of course, he's trying to learn them. Um, yeah. Mm, may, may, mm, that's, that's a cool idea, because that would give him... That would give player characters a reason to stop him or not, because it yeah. might some rituals you might want to get rid of. Or a guy that is sort of, in a broader sense, like the quality assurance guy for the universe, right? Like someone that knows his position and somehow 
the clergy, some member of the clergy or something, or maybe more than one member of the clergy, give send some messages through some sort of means, some sort of evocative and weird magical means. Mm-hmm. And it's basically, all right, here's this weird thing that works but shouldn't. Stop it from working. Just like, okay, maybe a building that should have fallen down by now, but just through stubborn force of unlikely probability, it's staying up. So he needs to figure out a way to get that building knocked down. That's an interesting idea. Like, um, he's like, maybe, what if, this is different from the ritual thing, but if he's, if there's a, a Neverwind person who's trying to, Try trying to somehow get back to their timeline. Uh, maybe they're a bit unstuck or something, but yeah. they've discovered that whenever they do, like if they identify something that definitely shouldn't be there and get rid of it, like things move a bit closer to their own timeline. Okay, and that could be interesting. Like, and so no one like notices except for them. But like, if if they like destroy a bridge that's not supposed to be there, then suddenly their uncle is living in. Nebraska again, or something yeah. like that. And far as in your UA game, like that's kind of a fun UA you spit on the, um, we need to get the time traveler or alien back home through this yeah. weird, obscure task mm-hmm. that they're mm-hmm. requesting of us. Yep. You just like slightly, slightly tweak the timeline. So it seems like the pattern that we're seeing here is like the way to survive as an everyone is to have your existence be a net positive for the universe's cohesion and stability. I think that's one way I would like... I, I but think that's what open. we've put down so far, but let's think so of far. some other ways that, like, all right, what's another way a, a Neverwind could ensure their existence here? They could, like, with gutter magic type stuff, they could set up their backstory... They could create their backstory, like if they establish enough things in this timeline. Because I used this in a campaign once of like to keep a Neverwind person in the universe, you have to like give them a paper trail to make yeah. it like more difficult for the well, not more difficult, but the universe like less visible to the universe, like sort of uh, camouflage them in a way. Oh, here's an idea. Um... So what if a guy is just making on eddies that are sort of proxies for himself and the universe keeps killing them instead of him? Well, if, if a Neverwind person has a proxy ritual, like he'd Im- immediately start to proxy people. Um, yes. That, mi- that might A, tie him to this universe and B, like if the universe does reach out and try to kill them. It, well, the other the thing person. is like, so say a guy's making non not even like explicitly as proxies, but just never one knows how to make non-entities and they're making non-entities that look just like themselves the universe is still going to yeah. want to get rid of them right sure and yeah. say the universe might not really be able to tell which one is which they're, they just know it's not supposed to be there they don't know whether they're a never one person or a non-entity so he just makes a shit ton of non-entities so chances are that the person that looks like him that gets killed is not actually going to be him that's it that's interesting it, 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 it reminds me vaguely of boys from brazil yeah yeah in, in a way um you know this, this guy the same name in all these different cities with the same sort of lifestyle yeah um yeah that could be a fun thing like if your player group encounters a non-entity 
it's another string to pull on. You're like, wait a minute, this is, it just this is keep, exactly well, the same Well, no, they, they keep encountering the same non-entity in different places, and they look exactly the same. And, you know, there's little slight differences in their life, but generally it follows this generalized pattern. That's a good excuse because um, especially old UA used to have those sort of characters who would show up anywhere. Yeah. Um, so you could initially have it seem like one of those sort of characters, like a Jita type character or like yeah. um, Jesus who's turned up a bunch of different places. But then it becomes obvious, wait a minute, no, this is actually a different Neville. This is a different um, non-entity. And, like, yeah. and there's a Neville went per- person like pulling the strings in the background. While trying to lay low so they look like one of the non-entities. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's one way. That's one way. Can you do it with just sheer force of will? Um, or I mean, but how would that how would that manifest? All these things are, in one sense or another, expressions of force of will. Making a bunch of non-entities of yourself. That's, that's yeah, pretty willful. That's, that's pretty willful. It, it makes sense that it, it could be different ways. Um... I, I could also just imagine a guy that's like has basically trained himself to be in fight or flight at all times so that whenever the universe throws that final destination shit at him, he he's able to, like, use his reflexes to stay clear of it. That's a pretty fun character. That's a pretty fun character. <laughs> Just like, I have beaten the final destination boss many times. Don't put, don't leave that there. It's going gonna, it's gonna to create a Rube, uh, what's it, a Rube Goldberg device yeah. that's going to try to kill me. His apartment is just totally featureless. Uh, he like he only eats like food that requires no preparation whatsoever, not even microwaves, just to make sure. He's like, um, I know, but is that? I mean, enough. You might need to live in a bunker or something because there's planes. I remember in Final Destination movies, sometimes planes would crash to kill the people. All sorts of like, you'd have to have a. I don't know. Have to, I, I figure, imagine... unlike Final Destination. With never one people, there's sort of a sense of fairness where the universe is like, okay, I want to kill this guy, but I really want to avoid killing people that are supposed to be here in the process. Or it could be the old universe could just be like, um, just stubborn. Um, I'm thinking of like how in so many movies, and I'm thinking especially of Taken, how the in Taken, like his daughter gets kidnapped and he just like works his way through this entire criminal organization, killing. Like so many of them, to, like so many of them, to get his daughter back, and you see that sort of thing, like the hero just, just like massacring like an entire organization to get his one goal. And in those sort of movies, whenever that happens, I'm always just like, surely at some point, like the criminal boss would be like, "We gotta cut our losses. This guy yeah. is insane. Let's just give him his daughter back. Why are we doing this? Why are we sending wave after wave of mook?" after this guy like it's not working how many how many guys do we have to lose before we cut our losses but could you make an interesting story out of that is the question i mean i think by the way of doing that it would be it'd be from the crazy kidnappers point of view and just like yeah yep yeah. like the end of the second act he's like okay no fuck this i'm done bye it could be one, one interesting twist you could have is um imagine if like the one thing I don't like about the, um, what is the, not, not intangible, but the impersonal effect of the Final Destination effect, and I would be, it would be more interesting if it was like a group like the Sleepers that was out there killing Neverwhere, but they had to make it look like it was like an accident every time, yeah. and you just defeat them. I mean, maybe there is a group like that. Like the, we know that parts of the clergy have their servants down here. 
Yeah, you can say, like, okay, there's a cult to a specific archetype that basically what they've been tasked with doing is dealing with Neverwind people. Mm-hmm. Like a cult of the hunter or something, let's say. Yeah, that, that could work. That could work. Uh, cult of the doctor, whatever. Sure. Um, the physician. Do you think there would be, like, a troubleshooter uh, sort of uh, archetype? Maybe, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. It seems Problem a bit... So, uh, yeah. I, I think there is sort of a cultural figure of the guy who fixes problems. Yeah, there has to be, yeah. I'm thinking, if you're doing it in a game, in a game, you would have to have the, the PCs would be like, their objective would be to protect their Neverwin friend um, yeah. for whatever reason. And th- there might be... As a GM, you might want to present like multiple ways to do this. Like you could do it like it is like a yeah, force of will because for a GMC, you'd have to like give a justification of why they're still around. Like sometimes it would it would be like uh, because they've got their their proxy uh, in non-entities. Sometimes maybe they've just got the protection of someone in the invisible clergy. Yeah, um, you got you got to love the cronyism with uh, cosmic cronyism. Sometimes it's just I have not slept in like. Four days. Yeah. Sometimes it could be just like, I, I came here with a major charge and I just used it and I'm fine now. Um, um, or I mean, yeah, there you go. Another phone that comes to mind is like, all right, the universe can't notice me if I'm not conscious. Mm. So and we talked about this a bit before. Someone basically trying to turn themselves into a pea zombie as a survival mechanism. That's true. Just yeah. No thoughts head empty. If I'm not thinking how I'm not supposed to be here, if I'm not thinking at all, then the universe can't find me. I just imagine this, like, meditating. This guy gets out of meditate and all the Final Destination stuff just misses him only slightly because he can't get to see him. Where is well, he? Well, no, like, it, it, it's like inwardly he's meditating. Outwardly he's the most average man alive. I suppose that's another way of doing it. Just be as average as possible. Or you could adopt a new identity, like a, a persona mancer from another sure. uh, universe might be able to get by by just like not going back to their normal self because they'll die. Yeah, coming coming up with proxies or some sort of metaphysical disguise is also probably a good way to avoid the avoid the uh, car accidents and the uh, anvils falling on you and whatnot. I had a couple other ideas for like potential Neverwin GMCs. I had one who um, was like a tour guide um, in their universe, um, but when they come to our universe, obviously things are different. But like I was thinking that they're like a Cleomancer, and they're having a hard time because history is different. Mm-hmm. But they discover that if they go to places that in their universe has a historical site of great significance they can get one little bit of like get one charge okay and that keeps them going and sure. so they're trying to find and they, they could have like a they have their scrapbook full of like like lists of all these places like the the, the site of the battle of cincinnati or something and all these things that like don't exist um monuments and um yeah, battlegrounds and such and such forth, and they have to keep going from one to one. They're like a nomadic because that's how they they stay ahead of the universe. Is they they get they, they eke out that little bit of magic that's like um, they become a moving over. target. Yeah. How, how about this? How about this? 
uh, a way a Neverwind version could stay alive, and this is uh, maybe an evil idea. Say, like, you assume, what if the Neverwind person has a counterpart here? Just kill the counterpart, take their place. Easy. Easy done. Sure. But that did raise another idea in my... Because that would be um, a good villain, um, a version of, like, one of the player characters who's coming to claim their place because they're going to be killed otherwise by the universe. Um, so there's some sympathy there. Uh, maybe, maybe there are... Oh, yeah, they're there. you. But you're also the thing that's getting in the way of their survival. Like, it's, that very naturally ends with the player character just killing their count doppelganger. But that also raises another question I had. Um, never when demons... What if you're possessed by your own ghost? <laughs> All right. So you're just the shittiest version of yourself. Because it doesn't make sense that, like, um, if you have a Neverwind counterpart that comes here, or a dead Neverwind counterpart, a Timberwind demon, they are you. You would be their number one target. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the admittedly the first thing that came to mind as, like, a spit... Spin on the scenario of like, okay, there's a doppelganger of me from another universe and they're trying to kill me. How do you put the spanner in the works of that at the universal level, right? Mm. And the first thing is like, oh, obviously, my own clone. Now, neither of us will be virgins. <laughs> oh, no. Will, will it solve the zero-sum game that happenstance has locked you to in? Probably not, but, I mean, while you have the opportunity, that, that's the thing that bums me out about that scenario, right? There's so much more fun things that can be done with, one, the player characters having a doppelganger from a different reality than, alright, he's trying to kill you. Because that's the only way he can he can survive. You could make it that that's the only way he's figured out he can survive. But the piece but then you can be like, wait, get, wait, 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 bro. We have options here. Let's think about this for a while. Yes. Um, the ritual of union would put an end to it. But that would be the same as dying. Um, well, yeah. memories. It, it's, it's... You, you die, but parts of you survive. Memories. You have memories. survived yeah, after... And if it's, if you're being absorbed by your own self, I mean, that opens up some interesting existential yeah. questions. What about if, like, one temporary or permanent measure could be to hide them in an, in another space? Sure. Uh, where the universe can't get them um, for a while, at least. Um, it, that would be a good thing if you have... If players have access to another space that they don't know what to do with, you'd be like, well, you can put this Neverwind guy there until you figure out a permanent solution. You could build another space that fits their like their universe close enough that they could be they can live happy lives maybe. Yeah, that works. That works. Um, and probably what that's going to end with is the universe notices that and it's like, oh hey, there's this never in the seventh space. Let's just cut off the door to that. All right, cool. Don't need to worry about that anymore. Well, it, it, it does seem like, in my understanding, like the universe seems to tolerate other other spaces pretty fine but it doesn't tolerate neverwind so it'd be a case of like all right this is a great way of just cutting this off ensuring it's not gonna be a problem again but we know that in in other spaces like 
the rules are different. Yes. And, like, you don't see surgical teams going into other spaces because it'd be pointless. So I would suggest that, like, the universe, if the Neverwind person is in another space, the universe might just let them go. Imagine imagine if you sent a bunch of sleepers into another space who didn't know what other spaces were. So, but it looked like a normal town that would have weird shit going on, so they're constantly chasing things. No idea that they're stuck in another space, wasting their time. One must imagine Sisyphus happy. Uh, yes! That's that's interesting. That's that's a good way. Of, yes, I like it. That's a good use of other space. We'll do another space episode at some point. <laughs> it's a big topic, but yeah, we definitely should. I mean, yes. the other thing, like, is, okay, say that the universe tends to just, like, to cut off the doorways to other spaces containing Neverwind people because it's just an easy way to get rid of them. You create a Noah's Ark for Neverwind people. I mean, that's so much an Ark because an Ark implies a destination eventually, but you find a bunch of Neverwind people, you put them in another space, and then you just let that float off into the ether. And that would be an interesting... Yeah, that, that's cool, like... A yeah. campaign about collecting Neverwind people so you can... Safely get rid of them? It would be, because my question about that is, like, if you're going to put the guy from Mongol Earth with, next to the guy from Aztec Earth in the same other space, they might not get along, necessarily. I um, mean, they're just as likely to get along as people from any other universe. Infinite diversity and infinite forms and yeah. all that. Well, but they're all still fundamentally human. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. The Aztec and the Mongol guy might get along famously, but the Mongol guy, and it turns out there's a second Mongol guy, fucking hate each other's guts. Oh, yeah, because of, like, local politics. Yeah, well, um, maybe, yeah. it might not be that. They might just have incompatible personalities. That's true. That's true. There's a lot of reasons that people like each other and a lot of reasons that people don't like each other. Well, then again, then you have the, the, in the fun scene of you get all these people... From different timelines, and that you have to like sit down because when you're making out of you can you make them bespoke, you can make them according to the rules that you want, and then they start arguing over how of the metaphysics of their of their new homeland, and so you've got the one the one Confederate who everyone's like, shut up, no, we're not listening <laughs> to you. It could be interesting. Yeah, that's that's, that's a good way of using it. Hmm, can we think of more any more uses of never when? There's probably more. Oh, there there are very versatile tool i think and i think we've we've potentially just like hit the touch of the iceberg in terms of shit that we've done with them i think and once you bring alternate universes into things the the possibilities are literally infinite it's limited pretty much only by the sort of shit you can come up with i mean the one of the things that this does kind of bring up a bit in the ua context is what is the measure of man how Mm. far can we get from baseline humanity while still being considered human in the mm. unknown army's metaphysical sense. Well, can we get into some all tomorrows level shit? I think we could, of course. I think we could I mean, too. Yeah, some alternate evolution. The Neverwind guy that coming in is like, no, you don't understand. I could fly with my ears in my past life. This is. <laughs> how do you guys live like this? Hmm. Are they going to be stuck in, an, in in another form or in this form? That's a good question. Form? Are they stuck in new human bodies? Are they stuck in another form? I'd imagine if they're another form, then the universe would take notice real quick. Hmm. 
Well, it might not if they're in a different form. It might not. There's a museum in uh, Berlin. Uh, they did a um, a mannequin of a reconstruction of a Neanderthal, and they put him in like a suit and a oh, hat yeah. and have him looking over. I've seen that. And he looks he looks like a weird guy, but if you saw him in the street, you'd probably wouldn't be like you wouldn't be like he's not a human being. You'd yeah. be like that's a weird looking guy. He cleans up real nice. Yeah. I mean, we know. I'm like, really, the only thing that makes him look look different from a person, from like a like a Homo sapien, is just the brow ridge, and just how sharp his jawline is. Yeah, he looks like he could like he could play a, a character, and he looks like he could be a a cowboy. <laughs> he could be anything. This is a weird double edged sword, but he almost kind of looks like Ron Perlman. A little bit, a little bit. But he's also a very handsome man, so. Yeah. Unconventionally handsome, of course. Yeah, exactly. Um, and we we know that we interbred with Neanderthals. Well, yes, on some level, maybe we all just want to be held by a strong Neanderthal man. That's right. That's right. But that's the thing. Like, if you get some like all tomorrow's type humans, yeah, some of them might have more troubles than others. So, for reference to listeners, for anyone who doesn't know, all tomorrow's is this book of um, it's an art book of speculative evolution where it's like, all right. Here's all the crazy shit that humans might evolving into given strange selection pressures often involving alien abductions and that sort of shit. Well, it was the aliens. It was the Q, as they were called hilariously, who came and fucked with the human uh, condition and let them evolve in different ways. Yeah. But it is fun. But then often we're like abandoned on obscure planets and left for millions of years. To evolve into other weird directions. Well, that's... Um, it's something that if you took humans and scattered them across the universe, of course they're going to adapt to whatever conditions you put them in. Yeah. I mean, that's in, in, in 40k. They brought back the squats. Did you know they brought back the squats? Yes, the squats they did. Yeah. <laughs> well, th- that's different because if I'm correctly, like, squats are, like, mutants or something. Yeah, but, like, what's a what's a mutant? I mean, like, they're, they're mutants yeah. because they were on um, high-gravity planets... Yeah, they were, like, we're all mutants. And, you know, you gotta know, like, the 40k is treatment of, like, mutants versus, like, abhumans versus, like, so-called pure it's, it's a It's, it's more, it's far more of a political question than one of, like, biology. It's, 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 it's mainly aesthetics, I feel. Is this mutation advantageous to us? Alright, keep them around. Hence, like, the ogren and all those shit. That's right. But with Neverwent people, like, we don't know, like, if there's different, like, different worlds, different timelines that all have invisible clergies, but they, the only thing, it is a good question of, like, how far do you get from human until it's not human? And then also there's the question of, like, we assume, which is, it's normally a good assumption that we are not a not particularly special universe, so we would assume that we are close to baseline, but maybe we're not, maybe we're weirdos. Um, sure. maybe most humans are like slightly different, so it's hard to tell. I would say that the further they are from how looking like us, like if they're like a a giant like pachyderm type four legged human, then they're gonna have a hard time. Um, I mean, but, and, but th- then this like eventually brings up the question of what does allow something to qualify as human, right? Hmm. Hmm. But, like, there, there is some sort of limit, presumably, yes. Or is it a question of biology? Or is it more a question of intelligence? Or is it a question of a particular kind of consciousness? 
you know, we've thrown around the ideas of the like the idea of the dolphin invisible clergy before. Maybe that's real in another universe. Well, there's the um, I'm reminded of uh, I think it was in Sandman where they had the story of like the world of cats and then to the little human dreams of a, a world where humans are dominant. Yeah, the cats could always go back. Like, yeah, it is a it is a big question. It's a big question in terms of like philosophy, but within the ex- like the uh, the existential situation of unknown armies yeah. yeah what is human it's a, it's a solid question it's a natural question too if the whole core of the cosmology of the war game is humanocentricity mm-hmm. it's one of those questions that like for me uh, it's sort of like the question of like is something intelligent uh, like a like a ai or something well yeah that brings up the question of what is intelligence yes and it's sort of like how are you going to, like, um, grapple that question? I, I would usually tend to, like, uh, lean on the side of, like, better safe than sorry. Um, let's not, like, if you, something could be sentient, maybe, even if it's not, like, assume it is, just in case. You never know. Okay, I but know. I assume you eat pork and whatnot. Yeah, it's true. That's true. Things are pretty smart. So what I get from this is that once we get sufficiently advanced AI... They'll be really good cooking. That's right. That's right. If there's, look, <laughs> they have got those um those robots that eat off, that uh, feed off organic matter. Yeah, they could have. I haven't seen that yet. The the the, the flesh eating robot uh, trope hasn't really devo- uh, developed uh, fully in in media yet, but I think it will. Give it time. Give it time. Now, while alternate universe is literally. Bring infinite fucking possibilities to this game. Never one is just one of them. So another one that's brought up is Exostock, which is sort of artifacts from the alternate universe. Yes. From my understanding, the universe isn't trying to kill that stuff the way it is never one people, right? It doesn't it doesn't seem to come up as like the universe doesn't like seem to bother it. Maybe because a lot of it comes through and it's already, it's magical, so it's been, like, altered somehow. That and, I, I wonder how much consci- lack of consciousness is part of it, right? Mm. They're more worried about a conscious entity from another universe going up the works than just some weird computer or something from uh, the alternate universe McDonald's Burger King merger or whatever. That actually raises the point of, like, what's the limit there as well? Like, um, if an animal from another... It was a, nev- a never-went animal, sure. is the universe going to kill it or not? Maybe not. Like, I'm imagining, like, a um, some kind of never-went zoo. That's fun. Like, because you could have, like, animals that are extinct in our timeline, like passenger pigeons and dodos and stuff, but also, like, you could go into the um, speculative evolution cool stuff. I-, I imagine a zoo full of, like rare animals that are either extinct in our timeline or never exist in our timeline but don't look that different from animals in our timeline so you know like Mm. stuff like darwin's finches and shit right but like slightly different beaks slightly different plumage i i I like the idea of like a a trigger event of some like um zoologist going into like this weird like (laughs) out of the way like petting zoo and being like wait a minute Wait a minute. I mean, the thing that's coming to mind is, like, okay, most people aren't going to matter, aren't really going to give a shit about that, but you bring in the one-player character with identity, Birdwatcher, and they're, like, fucking <laughs> um, rank nine 
a natural check right there. Would it be? It's like so. It's like no, nah, I'm exaggerating. Uh, I'm exaggerating. It would be like it would be like maybe wait a five, minute. maybe five, but yeah, not really dying. It's like um in that scene. It's uh it's like in Jurassic Park where like Laura Dern's character is like this plant has been extinct. What the hell? And meanwhile, Sam Hill's like there's dinosaurs over there. Um, <laughs> I think most people would be just fascinated. They'd be like, wow, it's been a this animal has ex- because some animals they have been found that have assumed to be extinct, but then they find them later. You're like, oh, yeah. they're still around. Yeah. Well, but specifically in the context of a zoo that has a bunch of shit like this, would be kind of freaky. I think it would be interesting if you could explain some uh, cryptids in that sense, yeah. like um, your phantom big cats in the UK or your phantom kangaroos. Like they just come from a timeline where it's just marsupials everywhere. Okay. Sure. Um, and that's interesting because you could have a... The timeline where kangaroo. humans have pouches? Of course, of course. And, that, that, and that. sweat their milk from the underarm? Where do you sweat your milk from? Fucking Australians. <laughs> Wait, that's, that's, um, that's not modest. That's, um, you're thinking of the monotremes, aren't you? You're thinking of the... Fucking... I thought monotremes were a subclass of marsupial. No, no, monotremes are their own class. Okay. Like, okay. Uh, there's placentals, marsupials, and monotremes. The monotremes are fucking weird. They're the weird, like I thought monotremes were under the umbrella of marsupial, but I guess not. No, they're 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 in, they're in their own fucking weirdo category. We have we have a whole other kind of fucking mammal here. <laughs> Just like monotremes are fucking weird. You aren't wrong. Like you can all, like lots of fun. You can have lots of fun with um fucking um the new dinosaurs type shit. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. Uh, I mean, the thing that this brings up to me is is Bigfoot just mankind from a different universe could be could be that's why there's no big feet around they keep getting killed by the universe just the a tree falls on them i just i, I like this idea of um a you finding a, a like a, a, a piece of exostock it's just a, a photograph or like a it's something taken from like um one of those um 14 times sites magazines and it's a picture of a cryptid but it's just clearly just a hiker they're <laughs> just like what is this creature I know I'm just imagining a Bigfoot, but, like, decked out in just normal hiking gear. Yeah. Like, maybe... Just, like, he's backpacking. He has the hiking stick and everything. Maybe the Bigfoot that we see is, like, there's been a port... Like, some portal has opened between a Neverwind reality and our own. And it just happens to have opened it, like, a Bigfoot... A Bigfoot na- uh, naturist colony. I mean, though, to be fair, if you have fur, then clothes are less necessary, I think. That's true. You might like it. The most pictures of Bigfoot are like pretty far away. You might get close to him. And he's like wearing a watch or something. <laughs> <You know>? True. <laughs> he's got wait. He's wearing shoes. It's, yeah, they still need shoes. He's hiking a long distance. How big are these Jordans? My God, that is pretty funny. Just find like size seventeen Jordans in the woods. He's been here. Oh, this it's it's a, it's a size seventeen Jordan footprints. The shoe prints. I mean, like, that, that's one of the things, right? So, Unknown Army, the war game has given definitive explanations for vampires, for werewolves. I don't think it's ever given one for Bigfoot. I mean, they, in Stoon Lake, they apply it doesn't exist because they, like, Unknown Armies does like to play with the whole idea of, like, some of the more obvious cryptids and unnatural things are just not real. There's, like, a, a, um, a mundane explanation, which is fun. Um, sometimes, yeah. but I've never really used that conceit. Um, I'm not sure. Has anyone ever used that conceit? I kind of like the war game take on vampires. 
I think that's cool. It's like, okay, yeah, they're just anemic, long-lived um, Eastern European noble people. Why not? Every other yeah. game has fucking vampires. I like to take on lycanthropes largely because it... It's weird. It's different. Gives a very good... It's weird and it gives a very good way to have something broader than just fucking wolves. That's true. That's true. I had duck lycanthropes in one of my games. Let's go back to, like, I'm thinking about Exostock, but, like, when we think about Exostock, we're always thinking of, uh, like, Allmart stuff, and there's lots to talk about with Allmart. We, we could do a whole episode of Allmart as well, um, especially to talk about um, Raiders of the Lost Mart. Yeah. But I was thinking, one of the things that's always, like, what from an alternate universe would be valuable to people with our universe? And I think the most obvious one would be Otherworld Media. Yes. Like, the, the version of... Um, Matrix with Will Smith playing Neo, um, or like anything, any sort of movie that didn't get produced, like uh, or hasn't been produced yet, or like various Stanley Kubrick productions, like like Stanley Kubrick's Napoleon, the gritty Superman movie starring Nick Cage. Yeah, with the with the giant mechanical spider that ended up in Wild Wild West. Oh yeah, because that one yeah. producer just had a weird thing about that giant. Mechanical I read about spider. that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was that was what oh, so Kevin Smith was talking about. That yeah, and yeah, that stuff. Like I can imagine like the trade in that, like people killing each other over that sort of thing. Oh, easily. That's yeah. the sort of and that's, shit that fanboys dream about. I had like a thing that I kind of wrote up, and I was because I was looking for like um, forgotten media or like unsuccessful media and stuff, and I discovered the uh, the Wow Wow. Um, uh-huh. Now. The Wow Wow, let me just check my references, but it was a Japanese console that was going to be developed in the early 90s. That's it. And it the idea of it was that you would download video game titles from satellites. The, there was a few things that they were trying similar, like uh, the SNES had something like this called the Satellaview, mm-hmm. where they'd like broadcast games in a certain... Uh, window of time and you could only yes. play the game it, it was like a TV broadcast of the video game wow okay that's interesting that's really interesting um, but I was thinking like okay so it got unveiled in 1992 at the Tokyo um, game show but the console in our timeline just got abandoned because the speed of data transmission was too slow at the time yeah. and the costs were too high but I'm thinking, like, in some other timeline, I'm imagining, like, a piece of Exo stock, which is, like, from the timeline where the Wow Wow took off for whatever, maybe some technical breakthrough or whatever. And it's, like, a third or fourth generation Wow Wow console called the Wow Wow Renaissance. Um, and you can't use it because it can't connect to a satellite network. Or can you? I was thinking of, like, if you got this thing and you use, like, because um, it's Japan, I was thinking they could, you could use Onmyodo astrological divination um techniques with some whole ritual thing and All right, sure. download non-existent games um and it would be a silly little MacGuffin, but i think it's kind of fun yeah no that does sound like a lot of fun that is a very good MacGuffin because it is something that's like evocative and interesting but i mean far as like giving it some sort of magical effect maybe it can connect to the alternate universe's satellite stuff and you could if you like have the right hardware and software knowledge you can fuck with that to get other kinds of transmissions maybe but sometimes i think MacGuffins don't necessarily need a magical thing because wizards will still fight over them yeah it's a MacGuffin. i think just having it is what it is it's fine but if you want an artifact with some more interactivity to it 
then allowing you to break the thing open and kind of uh, mod the thing to... I could easily see something like that being from like a timeline where we never got as reliable internet infrastructure as we have, so all internet is satellite-based, right? Sure. Maybe you can still connect to that universe's weird satellite-based distributed internet. Here's, here's a really roundabout way of getting rituals. Um, you're getting right. pieces of like... The uh, the never win equivalent of libgen, which is just like throwing out all these all right. scientific articles, and you're finding you're looking for scientific like really obscure scientific articles about like testing about particle accelerators in other timelines and comparing it to the counterparts here, looking for like the disparity from which you can create magic. That is something that if a player happened to put in the effort to try that sort of bullshit, I definitely let them. It's more something I imagine being, like, the concept for a GMPC. As, like, just like, okay, this is their thing. They're a physicist that found the alternate universe LibGen and discovered magic through that. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, there's, uh... Absolutely. It's all about finding the, uh, the little, little, little hints of, like, I I can manipulate this thing. Yep. But the thing is, as MacGuffins go, like... I've, I've like got some notes here, like various, like um, various unreleased like Star Trek. I'm like people would definitely fight and kill oh, over Star Trek. Ab- anything Star Trek related, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What was that unmade Star Trek show that they were trying before Star Trek: The Next Generation? Phase two. Yeah. So like, okay, they get the Star Trek Phase Two DVD box set. There's only one season because it was such a piece of shit that nobody liked it. It has those two characters from the motion picture that were just, like, first draft versions of um, Troy and Riker. No Star Trek was made after Phase 2 because it was such a failure, except for, like, the J.J. Abrams Trek, because that's, like, the action-packed modern reboot. It's, it, it exists in all timelines? Oh, no. The, the first two Abrams Trek movies are uh, universal constant. The third one varies. Imagine if you didn't even imagine if you didn't even need like libgen to and the scientific papers to make rituals. Imagine if you could just compare different like season threes of TNG from different timelines sure. and be like, ah, the the differences here are enough for me to make rituals. Sure, and like, there's so much fodder for all that stuff. Like, literally, just go on Lost Media Wiki. Yep, Lost Media Wiki plus alternate universes. You have. Hundreds of campaigns worth of shit that you can pull. Oh, yeah. What would you pay? Like, how many... What would people pay for a copy of Winds of Winter? And this one was finished by Robert Jordan, because um, George R. Oh, R. No. died of a died of a heart attack. No, he was hit by a, he was hit by a train. I don't know. Um, he was hit by a baseball. There. Um, the alternate years I could see there is, like, he, the TV show never gets past the first season. But he does end up finishing the books because he actually has fucking time. Yeah, that's both the most likely scenario. I think yeah. the TV show does the TV show does doesn't get made, so all the books are done, but there's less people reading them. Oh no! I was thinking of like to linking back to the original story of the tourist from Tower Red, um, and I have some notes about like um, what if you could get a hands on like a passport from Tower Red or, or, or a non-existing country. Um, and if you could pass it off as your own, like, could it be like an artifact that you can get through? You can, you can use it as a passport and people will accept it. 
but it might create some unnatural phenomenon or phenomena. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind for that is like some weird cult of like quasi white supremacist finding like a 2005 passport from Rhodesia. Oh no! Just going crazy with oh, that no. shit. That would make sense. That would make sense. What other what lost like uh, oh Soviet passports? Sure. Twenty twenty one for Soviet passports. Sure. We have not yet found Thule because it is not in this reality. Ah. Well, that's the idea. Like, what if people, like, the fact that Neverwin people can come here, surely that would suggest that people from our timeline could go there. Yeah. Like, what if the mission was to, if the objective was to somehow get to a more amenable timeline, but also survive? Um, the world's first exonaut? That's right. Well, the, first, the world's first um, official exonaut. Well, intentional exonaut, let's say. There, there's been some stories about people who have, like, um, there was one story that I thought was interesting about people who claim to travel to, or, like, seem to travel to um, other worlds. Yeah, um, no, I've heard some of these, or, like, shifting through time and stuff. Ah, yes, the Gadianton Canyon incident. I have not heard about this. All right, so this is a uh, a uh, highway space warp. It says it's apparently a whole genre. Um, so this happened in southeastern Utah, where there was a group of girls that were driving in one of the girls' father's car, a Chevrolet Nova for Borden. But they were driving near the Utah-Nevada state line, and it was a desolate sort of uh, stretch of Utah Highway 56. And they... We're heading towards the ominous Gadianton Canyon in the distance, which apparently doesn't exist, but I'll come back to that. Some weird stuff happened, like there was a flash of light, and they noticed that the white center line of the road was gone, and the, the road, instead of being made of black asphalt, it was white cement. Hmm. And they were like, what the hell? And they found themselves all boxed into the canyon, and they were like, what, what this is weird, the landscape's different, the roads are different. So let's let's go. Um, and so they drive around for a bit, and they see a. Um, they can't find where they're going, and they drive along until they see a roadhouse diner type thing, with a big blazing neon sign. But they couldn't read it because the letters are just like squiggles and cur- it, like they just it's like a, a, a different script. Yeah. Yeah. And so they park the car, and a whole bunch of very tall men like spill out of the building. And the girls are about to get out. One of the girls gets out and then one of the girls screams and says, drive, 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 drive. And they drive off and these, they get chased by these, um, vehicles is like, they're like uh, egg shaped vehicles, um, with like three wheels that are chasing them. And they, they do just weird things. They're driving and with these like lights on the front of, on the top of them. And they go through some, like the, through the Canyon, through the cave walls and then they crash but they, um, but when they crash, like they come to and they're back where they were, but like a few, like hundred, like a couple of miles off the road, like without any tire tracks in between. That's the story. Um, and then and that's the story of the mysterious, like, I liked it because like, and all these like girls the collaborated on this independently. I, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, this is the story as it's been told. Um, but as far as I can tell, the story is probably nonsense um, because they're talking about a place called, it's called the Gadianton Canyon Space Warp, but I cannot find any place called Gadianton Canyon. Um, but this word Gadianton is interesting. Um, 
Have you ever heard this word Gaddington before? No. Okay, Gaddington, the Gaddington robbers, according to the Book of Mormon, were an ancient secret criminal organization in ancient America, which is always fun. So how do you tie this together? Um, other space Mormon colony? Oh, the Space Mormon colony. So why they have? Why were they so big? Because oh, one of the girls. The reason the girl screamed and ran away from the tall men is because they apparently didn't look human, but maybe they were Nephites or Lamanites or whatever yeah. who were like sort of semi-human. Um, I did find a movie which seemed relevant as I was researching the Gaddington robbers, which is a Mormon film from two thousand and seven. About a time-space portal opening up near a house in Utah, and the the armies of the Nephites and the Gadianites start fighting there, and the ancient Mormon peoples of America. And looking at the pictures, they 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 look like they're meant to be like semi-Aztec looking. They got the obsidian swords and everything, and uh-huh. it's, it's pretty funny. That sounds dope as hell, honestly. That sounds fucking <laughs> yes. cool. It is, it is interesting and I do enjoy like I don't know how to like square this circle with all these things together because why choose that name Gaddington Canyon unless it had something to do with the Gaddington and that, robbers that's a fun UA campaign right there you, you go looking through yeah. the secret history and it turns out that of all the world religions the one that has uh, our mythic proto-history right is the Mormons well, I think South Park did this but yes no, it could be a whole lot <laughs> Well, they did everyone in, in hell asking, like, who had the right religion, and it was the Mormons. Oh, yeah. And they were all like, ah. Oh. I, I think The Simpsons pulls that one, too, but it's like, they get to heaven, and Homer's like, oh, wait, who had it? Turns out it was voodoo. Oh, yes, yes. Um, but yeah, that's good. That, like, using, like, because the I don't know enough as much about the Book of Mormon mythos as I should, but it is, like, a very American mythos that yes. would be fun to use. Yes, it's, I mean, like, honestly, it, like, you, you've read Theosophical stuff. It feels very similar yes. to that. Because it's coming out of pretty sure. much the same cultural context. Well, it's that same yeah. sort of mix between weird pseudo-science fiction, mm-hmm. pseudo-scientific, like, astronomy and all that stuff, mm-hmm. with, like, mythic proto-history. Like, I don't think it's coincidental that, like, a lot of big um, foundational figures in cosmic horror are also Mormon. That's interesting. That's an interesting. That's a good point. Like, who who, who was Mormon? Sandy Peterson, of course. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. W.H. Pugmire. Oh, really? He was, uh, at time of death, actually, still practicing Mormon. That's interesting. Orson Scott Card. Well, Isn't yeah. <laughs> Don't talk about that one. Yeah, Brian Evenson. I mean, I guess he's not super foundational, but he's still written like a lot of cosmic horror and horror shit. Oh, Stephanie Meyer. <laughs> oh yes, of course. Famous uh Cthulhuania writer Stephanie Meyer. <laughs> Sorry, I went off on a tangent, yeah. But it is interesting. I mean th- there's a lot of similar concepts getting thrown around there, I think. And mm-hmm. I mean, I think that leads to a lot of um, love. Young people getting exposed to Lovecraft in Mormon mm-hmm. cultures and resonating with it really heavily because it's taking those same 
cultural assumptions and theological assumptions, but turning them around and using them for horror. Like, I mean, mm. uh, I, I think the notion of great cosmic indifference is probably a lot more chilling to someone raised in a Mormon view of the universe than, you know, someone raised in just a standard secular well, that is something that's like common at the time, yeah. especially with Lovecraft was writing, because he would, there was that the pre-Lovecraft or like pre-not just Lovecraft, but the Gothic horror of the 19th century yeah. that carried on to the 20th century, it was very much more moralistic. Yeah, very much immersed in the values of the time. Yes, and so it wasn't just like a woman, like woman's reading. Of course, someone who's has a sort of um, a more religious view, uh, like view of the world, uh, a more meaningful view of the world, reading Lovecraft is going to be more disturbing. Uh, and this is a problem I've noticed with the way that I see Lovecraft being used today, where it's not, it's not so shocking anymore because like, like that sort of like um, humanity is nothing that a smote of dust in the universe. Yeah. Existentialism isn't as spooky as it used to be. No, because everyone's sort of like, yeah, no, that's 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 the standard viewpoint. The, the, there's the question of how much that's down to us coming to terms with that versus how much it's us more building up sort of defenses so we don't really think about how terrifying that stuff actually is. I think it kind of varies person to person. Sure. The D&D blogger uh, Cave Girl did a pretty cool essay on this um, where she posits that most of the horror and cosmic horror doesn't come from, like, fear and the shock and awe of realizing just how small you are in the universe. It's more from having your values and your view of the universe just shattered in an instant. Mm. Mm. And to be yeah. fair, like, I, I think, you know, if we do experience something that confronts us with just how my, how small we are in the universe and how that universe can destroy us, that's pretty spooky, but it, it's a lot harder to viscerally confront someone with that truth than it was when Lovecraft was writing about the topic in the early 20th century. It, it's sort of like... Um... If someone is, like, of the early 20th century in that fully modernist era when, like, we're, like, we're discovering everything, mankind through science and rationality is learning everything, like, that was, like, that would shatter that worldview. But if someone is, like, just, like, I'm just, I just live on my farm and, like, I keep to my own business, like, they're not going to be as bothered by that. They'll be like, yeah, that's why I don't leave town. Yeah, well, not just that. It's like, oh, you're telling me that I'm at the whim of vast and incomprehensible forces beyond my control? Yeah, I, I had my crop totally fucking ruined just a couple springs ago. I, I live in tornado country. Yeah. Don't talk to me about, like, yeah, the whim of the universe, I know. That's a common critique of Lovecraft Cosmic Horror, of that it's very much comes from a urbanite wasp New England perspective. Yeah, it's a comfortable perspective, yeah. And but my thing is, it's like, uh, it's not... Because it's not so shocking in that sense anymore. Yeah. Well, it is, um, I guess. But if you have, you have to present it, like... It's a lot harder now. Yeah. But to be fair, I don't... Lovecraft coined a lot of those concepts. Very few of his stories does he successfully 
evoke those concepts. And even most of his scary stories don't even aren't really even cosmic horror stories. Shadow of Rensmith is not a cosmic horror story. It's probably one of the scariest stories I think he's written. It's one of the ones that creeped me out the most, but it's not really cosmic. Uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Hmm. Only in context, I guess. Because it's mostly about... It's not what the story is trying to viscerally get across. It's not really the focus of it. Oh, it's more like these people are wrong. Yeah. This city of this town is wrong. Um, but yes. Oh, we've, got back, we've gone into Lovecraft country again. And then we keep taking this wrong turn. <laughs> so, to get back to Neville Wynn next, I think we've covered quite a few things. Yeah, is there anything else you want to cover before we finish up here? Well, the thing about this topic is it, it does have... It is, as you said before, it's it's the tip of the iceberg. Well, once you bring alternate universes into things, all bets are off. That's why it's. I think it's good. Like, we have some good ideas here. Keeping it within, because when you get into alternate universes, it could um, muddy the scope of what you're Well, yeah, with. so maybe we should discuss that a little bit. It's how do you include this in your game without broadening the scope to the point where everything before it just feels superfluous and kind of meaningless well that's 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 one of the issues of having a multiverse in general in fiction is it sort of raises the question of like if if, if each decision you make creates another branching timeline it, it sort of robs your any decision of any real yeah. significance one way to handle it is switching between them should very much be a one-way street yep you can't go back because mm. already the timelines diverged a bunch, right? It's like the conjunction of the spheres, right? But instead it's the conjunction of the timelines in alternate universes. You, you can only switch in the right place at the right time when you do the exact right things. If, you, if your goal was to like like leave this fucked up universe behind, that probably would be the end of the campaign. Yeah. Because it might be starting a whole new campaign where you're... Well, your various adepts are in a fantasy world or whatever. And even then, most of the time, it should require, like, a major charge, like... I mean, because, like, fundamentally, what is the Cleomancy major charge if not just switching things to be an alternate universe? Mm-hmm. Ooh. It could be... You could do, like, one thing you could do. Instead of, like, a major charge, you could get, like, other spaces or pocket universes that connect to our universe through doors, ways, and such. Okay, use them as shortcuts? Use them as shortcuts, and I'm thinking, like, what if there was, like, a um, an other space that... Like our previous idea of the Noah's Ark other space, but it was sort of, like, a other space that, um, like, it's traveling across, like, through fifth dimension or whatever... Um, and it temporarily connects to this universe and it's full of, like, it's a bar inside or something mundane, but it's, like, got all these people who've, um, you know, they've, they've decided to stay and they're going to see what the next universe is like. And the choice is, do you want to go with them or not? And explore the all, all, the multiverse because it's only, again, it's a one-way trip. You can never go back. You can only just keep moving between the universes. Yeah, that's fun. And, I mean, like, one of the big things about the one-way street thing is it, it, it gives a sense of permanency, right? It's like, a, okay, I'm doing... Yeah. It, it still makes that any decisions and actions involving these things feel weighty. Well, that's the thing. You could always just be like, yes, every decision you make creates a different timeline, but you're only going to live in one. Yeah, friend, exactly. So. Like, you're still stuck in this one, <laughs> motherfucker. And then you're still dealing with the all the butterfly effect shit. Like, okay, yeah, sure. Your wife's alive in this universe, but she left you. Well, yeah. 
I mean, and your wife's still dead in the previous universe. Yeah. So this is a different wife. Yep. <laughs> this is, like, a, this different is a pretty wife. different person. There's five years of difference there. Mm-hmm. The person changes a lot in five years. It would be okay if it was a two-way street, if that was like the campaign, like you're going to a different... I think that broadens things a bit too much and makes it... One, it's just really fucking hard to deal with from the GM end of things, because you're having to juggle two fucking very broad game states and game settings at once. Unless unless you're going from, like, the standard timeline and you're spending the entire campaign in the other timeline, it's still unknown armies, there's still adepts and avatars and all that, but some details are different. Sure. But it feels like it should be like like it was stuff that you'd have to like. Maybe there was like a, a previous campaign where a whole bunch of stuff was like established, and then you do like the alternate, the Never Went Universe campaign, but it's only a short period uh, because otherwise, yes, otherwise it becomes a different game, and that might be fine too. All right, yeah, I could see that working a bit, but I mean, it's like time travel, right? Anything involving alternate timelines and universes you need to be real fucking careful with because yeah otherwise you get basically nightmare scope creep yes like yeah that's a huge pain in the ass for the players and the gm to handle and just it's good to keep things a bit constrained and when you bring them in bring them in very carefully i mean i like never wins because it's like okay there's alternate universes you're dealing with the knock-on effects of that you aren't actually traveling the alternate universes very much. Although I, I would want to say that we, I, I, I also the idea of playing unknown armies sliders is also kind of funny to me. Yeah, I get that. Bad, it's know? a it would be a lot though. It would like <laughs> I, I I know running that campaign would be a joy and an immense headache. Oh yes, oh yes. Any other things to? Keep in mind to like limit yourself when you're pulling the alternate universe card. <clears throat> I think I think we've covered it pretty well. I think we haven't really covered um, the Dalai Lama effect, but we can get into that later. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Are you? Do you mean the Mandela effect? Why? Suddenly, all the cheese banks changed to white. 
so the logo stayed blue, but the um, the letters became white.